This is a special edition of the RTI Press Pass, powered by Rocky Top Insider. Here are your hosts, Rick Butler and Ryan Shumlin. All right, and here we go. Welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. Today is June 1st. My friend, we are officially in summer, right? That, that's the, is that the threshold? Um, I think it's my mental threshold. <laughs> I'm not sure whether it actually is. I think we might have a little bit more time until it's officially summer, maybe. But I'm also not sure. That's a very Ill, ill-educated guess on my, my Man, part. Man, it, it feels like summer, though. It you does know, feel like summer. Besides a couple leftover May showers that I'm, I'm sure we'll get at some point here, it feels like summer. It's hot outside. It's it's uh, it, you, can, you can see the people outside. It's good to see. It's just good to have a lot of life, I, I think, in the summertime. And that's certainly what you get right now. My name is Rick Butler, joined to my right by the one, the only, Ryan Shumpert. Good afternoon, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and uh, I was correct. June 21st is the first day of summer. So. Uh, oh, wow. That's way later. So three weeks from now. Three weeks from now, oh, which gosh. is also the longest day of the year. So Is that the solstice? The solstice, okay. yeah. That's I, I don't want to say that and not get, it, no, not get it right, and people being like, that's a, that's a very common thing, Rick. You should have known that. So, okay, summer solstice on the 21st, huh? Yep. First day of summer. Are you going to celebrate? You going to throw a big solstice party? No, I don't think so. Oh, uh, maybe I'll sit outside a little later at night when it's enjoy how uh, how late it is, uh, how light it is while it's laid out or whatever. Hey, who knows? Maybe, just maybe, maybe you'll be celebrating in Omaha. Yeah, I could the, be for in the Omaha. whole summer solstice. I mean, a lot of things would have to happen True. between now and but then. That's but that's in play. It's in play. Speaking of, uh, you and Jack Foster, the other. A wonderful podcast we have here on Rocky Top Insider. You guys did a baseball podcast this morning. Just kind of, what'd you talk about? How'd it go? Yeah, it went well. And uh, talked about the Clemson Regional uh, this weekend. Uh, A little bit of a look at Charlotte. We had kind of done some of that on our Instant Reaction podcast uh, back on Monday, too. So a look at them, a look at Clemson, uh, some talk about Lipscomb, and then also plenty of talk about Tennessee, their pitching plan, what are the keys for Duvall's to uh, go into the Clemson Regional and knock off one of the hottest teams in the country in the Clemson Tigers. If you are listening to this podcast right now, no matter where you're listening to it to, well, you can find that baseball podcast in this same feed. It's called Clemson Baseball, or excuse me, Clemson Regional Preview, The Path to the Supers for Tennessee Baseball. You can go and check out Ryan and Jack doing that great show. They recorded that earlier on Thursday morning. But, Ryan, you and I are, are uh, we're writers at our core, right? We obviously write for Rocky Top Insider, in case people did not know that. You enjoy you enjoy writing, I yes. would assume. uh-huh. So I got up yesterday morning, about 7 o'clock in the morning, moseyed on over to my desk, and I felt like it was going to be a slow news day. I felt like I was going to struggle to find something to write about, like can sometimes happen during the summer months or so, as we just mentioned, the pre-summer months, I guess we should say. Boy, was that wrong. <laughs> yeah. By about mid-afternoon or so, we went into the day thinking that there wasn't going to be too much news not only do we have the baseball uh, regional, that's just a couple days away, but we had big ba- uh, we had big basketball news and big football news. A little bit different, one scheduling-related, one roster-related, but two huge pieces of news dropped on the same day. We were covering it over on RockyTopInsider.com, which you can go and find all of our written work over there on these stories. But, Ryan, let's talk about the big news from the basketball court, and that is the return of super senior forward Josiah Jordan-James. You—and— 
I'm sorry if I'm if I'm pulling the curtain back a little bit. You said this was one of the most surprising bits of news in your time covering Tennessee, which has been a good couple of years now. Is that still true here in the aftermath? Yeah, no, it's funny because Jack brought that up. He we were teasing the, wow. the basketball podcast at the end of the baseball podcast. Oh wow! And he Continuity. brought that up. Um, and yeah, I mean, from a new standpoint, like a hundred percent. And I said I'd I'd probably have to think about it more detailed of uh, everything that happens in sure. games and all that stuff. But from a new standpoint, yeah, I was I was pretty floored yesterday when uh, uh, what was really I got a text that said <laughs> I can't believe Josiah's tweet. And then when I went and looked at Josiah's tweet, I also uh, couldn't believe it. So let me go ahead and read from your article before we start getting into just what this means for Tennessee, what it doesn't mean for Tennessee. I think in some respects. Reading from your article on RockyTopInsider.com, forward Josiah Jordan-James is returning to Tennessee for his super senior season, the wing announced on Twitter Wednesday afternoon. James announces his decision on the deadline for college basketball players to remove their name from the NBA draft and retain their collegiate eligibility, which again was Wednesday, the 31st of May. The Charleston, South Carolina native previously declared for the NBA draft, but one more year of eligibility remaining due to NCAA COVID-19 relief. Ryan, let's go back a couple weeks. Talking about a lot of the roster movement on Tennessee's team, we knew that they were active in the transfer portal. And in fact, they were proclaimed as one of the most active teams in the transfer portal, along with maybe an Arkansas or an Alabama or so. You bring in three guys from the portal. You expect that some of your former veterans are going to leave. Olivia Kamo enters the transfer portal. Euros Plavsic, you know, announces on, on social media that he was done with the team and that he was leaving. Josiah Jordan-James was kind of just that last one left, but now he comes back to the team, and they're a little bit over scholarship. Do you know kind of what's going to what's the what's the idea there? Kind of how that's going to all work out? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know a hundred percent. I haven't heard this from a fact. You know what the reporting has been from Mike Wilson over at Knox News Sentinel, and I think Grant Ramey at On Three has reported it too. Um, just is that Josiah Jordan-James is going to be back as a walk-on. And he is not going to be a scholarship <laughs> player. He won't count against Tennessee's 13 scholarships. And I think at the start, it was so shocking, um, largely because this seemed so unlikely because of what you just said, scholarship numbers. They had a full roster. 13. They had a full, which is the limit you can have uh, on your team. And, you know, obviously B.J. Edwards had entered the portal. They were already over. And B.J. Edwards entered the portal to, and ended up transferring to uh, SMU, which got Tennessee even. And even that was, what, that was the Friday before the Georgia baseball series. So that was almost a month ago now. Um, and so for almost a month, it had all, everything kind of been settled. We were waiting to see what the chips, where they fell for Olivia Kemwolf, where for Josiah Jordan-James, for Julian Phillips. But you felt pretty confident sure. that none of those would be Tennessee because Tennessee didn't have a scholarship for them. <laughs> and you would figure if that they were going to – run somebody else off to have that scholarship available, that would have been something they would already have done. So that's where the initial shot comes from. The walk-on thing is certainly a surprise, I think, within its own right, uh, but I do think explains it a lot more or makes the decision yeah. quickly makes things make sense from a ten- how from a Tennessee side of things did this happen? Did Josiah come back? How did you make room for him? Because it, it would have been, again, very surprising for them to – take a scholarship away from somebody else or make someone else transfer or any of the thousand scenarios yeah. we talked about when B.J. Edwards transferred of one of the incoming recruits going to a, a prep school for a year. All that stuff seemed unlikely. Jordan Ganey go, being a walk-on. That, all that stuff <laughs> yeah. seemed really, really unlikely. So Josiah being the walk-on, uh, it, it does make it a lot more viable and, and kind of says, okay, I, I can see how 
how they landed here. Yeah, and you know, when slash if that officially gets announced, I think that to me at least kind of implies that this was not a part of the plan. I think something that Correct. we have said in the, you know, we've said it in our own group text a little bit is that, yeah, you expect that this does come with Rick Barnes's blessing, obviously being at the top of the program at all. But it also implies to me that this was not in the plan. This was not even something that maybe was being planned on, right? To where they they did kind of keep that last spot open in case he wanted to come back. This, the walk-on rumor or report or however it's kind of being constructed right now, again, just implies to me that this was, this does kind of feel a little bit last minute. Maybe Josiah Jordan-James came back to him and they said, okay, well, we can get you back on the team, but it might have to be in a little bit different way than, than what you're used to. Yes, and again, I this is pure speculation. I don't sure. know this at all, but it's like with NIL and stuff, I imagine Tennessee could get Josiah Jordan-James enough NIL to pay for his college this year. Now, obviously, that wouldn't would cut out of whatever NIL he'd be having to to live on, and and what all you know, every any player that's getting uh, NIL money is that kind of side of things. But I think it's almost more surprising when you look at it from the Josiah Jordan-James side of things. And I think we'll go there first, and then yes. maybe look at it from the Tennessee side of things. I think that's a great idea. Because my thing for Jos- with Josiah is that he. He's coming back because he he didn't get good enough draft review. He doesn't think he's going to get drafted or get drafted high enough. I struggle to see the path to him significantly improving his draft stock from the standpoint of he's coming into a room that's all of a sudden really crowded now. Not only is Tennessee, you mentioned that they added transfers, they added two transfers that play the exact position that Josiah Jordan-James plays. Uh, Obviously, they... The people who are really going to you know, feel the ill effects of that is DJ Jefferson, who plays the same position, and his path to playing time is very thin, and then Cameron Carr, an incoming freshman, who I think already probably faced an uphill battle to playing. Certainly, it would, I think, be an obvious redshirt candidate now. Uh, but even with that, it's hard to think he's going to have some a bigger role, even a role that's necessarily even the exact same. He's played sure. uh, each of the last... Uh, he played 25 minutes this past year, 29 minutes the year before uh, a game. It's not like I think he's going to be playing 10 minutes or anything, but I would think it's going to be hard for him to get back into that same window, which I think in turn is probably going to make it hard for him to improve his draft stock. That is maybe the surprise element of it for me from the James standpoint. Certainly, if you go out there and he's been a consistent his freshman year, he shot 36.7% from three on like 90 attempts, not a very high number. The last three years, as those numbers have gone up, he's been between 30 and 32. So if he can become a 36, 37% three-point shooter, surely that would do it. Uh, and, and that is the gamble, uh, I think, for him, uh, or what he's maybe betting on uh, to rapidly improve his stock. But that's obviously, I think, a hard, hard for sure, and I don't think overly likely just uh, given the fact that what we've seen is a pretty large sample size the last three years. Just out of a something that randomly that's coming to my head after um, looking up his stats right here, was it was was Josiah Jordan James the player? And I remember Jimmy Himes asked this in, in one of the interviews, but he was the guy who had that ten point threshold, right? If Tennessee if he scored above ten or ten or more, it was typically a Tennessee win. If he did not score that ten, it was typically a Tennessee loss. Was he that guy? I he believe. was that guy, okay. yes. Okay, and it's funny, just because looking at his stats right here from last season, he averaged dead on 10.0 points per game, so right there at that threshold. But it's interesting looking at Josiah Jordan-James, and, and Ryan, I agree with so much of what you said right there. To me, so much of it is, is even if it's going to be a reduced role, which, which I'm in the same boat as you, I do think it's going to be, 
what kind of Josiah Jordan James we're going to see. I know last year he battled injuries a lot, and, and that was a that was a big detractor on the season. It, it, even going back a couple of days ago, we were talking to Tony Vitello in his press conference, and he mentioned this year how much illness has affected the baseball team. On the same kind of way, injuries affected the basketball team uh, to a large degree last year as well. So I do think that that obviously impacted his season, but he was better in the 2021-2022 year. I think that was really where we've seen peak Josiah Jordan James on this team. I wonder what it's going to be, just what, what he's coming back with. Obviously, we know there's a lot of talent there. Yep. But where are they going to want to use that talent? Can that talent get back to even better levels? Where, again, it was the year before last. So then there's a lot of interesting questions when you're just looking at Josiah Jordan James' perspective. But, again, I agree with you in the fact that it seems like, man, he just didn't get that guarantee that maybe as close to a guarantee as you can get that the NBA draft was going to be a likely option at some point in the second round. It seemed like he was a good maybe anywhere from 10 to 15 picks kind of below the the 60th pick, which is the final pick in the draft. So it seems like that's... That's the the clear and and fairly obvious reason why he's back here for one more year to try to improve that again. Yes, and I think you know I would uh, agree with basically everything you just said. You know that stretch really from February until the end of the season uh, in twenty twenty one twenty twenty two was by far the best stretch of his career. I think he shot uh, over what, twelve or thirteen game stretch. He shot almost forty percent from three point range, and then obviously. Uh, that's been the key for him offensively. He doesn't score consistently at the basket, so he's relying on his jump shot. Um, you know, the mid-range jump shot he had going well for that stretch too. And the defense, and I think you mentioned it, the health, that gets into where or let's pivot to the Tennessee side of things. Okay. I think from the jump, it, it's a good thing, a benefit, you know, and no doubter just from what it does for you from a depth standpoint, what it does from a floor standpoint uh, to give you another body. And, you know, look, we talked about it after those guys committed in our first podcast where we thought Tennessee's roster was basically set. You know, Chris R- R- Ledlam and Dalton Connect, good pieces, had great careers at Harvard and Northern Colorado, were after, other good schools were after them. But it's not a lock that they're going to be great. It's not a lock. It's no lock they're going to yeah. be better than Josiah Jordan James has been for Tennessee the last two years. And I think I expressed it in. I uh, specifically have some questions about Chris Ledlam and how his game uh, is going to translate to the SEC from being a smaller big man. Um, so from that standpoint, you know, that's that's good. That yeah. is a no-doubter. I think the huge question to me and of to what that just is is, is Josiah Jordan James better than those guys Tennessee brought in? Sure. Is is what you were just talking about. Is he going to be healthy? This is a guy that has dealt with so many injuries over the course of his career. Tons. Obviously, this year he missed 12 games, uh, eight of them with a, a knee injury, and then four later in the season with an ankle injury. He had the finger injury at the start of the, his the tw- his junior season. Um, that He missed a couple games. He's had off-season knee scopes. He's had off-season procedures. He's been a guy that's been banged up. But Josiah Jordan James, fully healthy, the full athleticism, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Not even fully healthy, because even when he yeah. was out there last year, yeah, he did not. He missed. He did not have a step that he had the year before. Athletically, when you talk about playing defense, Agreed. rebounding, I go back to the play in the first half of the Louisiana game, and maybe this is an oversimplification. Tennessee, I think it was actually maybe Josiah gets kind of a tap back to Vescovy. He's out ahead of the break. They throw it up to him. He doesn't even dunk the ball. Now, he jumps up and lays it in, but he doesn't even dunk the ball. There was a bit of athleticism that he had his first three years that weren't there. 
the analytics of his still percentage and stuff that yeah. went down last year. Not to say that he wasn't a good defender last year. He still was a good defender. He was still valuable. He wasn't that elite guy that he was yeah, his first couple years. He's still very event. versatile in yes. the in the range that he can cover. I mean, one to four, and then maybe even a big if if they're maybe a little bit smaller or whatever. But I think you're right. It's even though he's got the range, it wasn't as impressive as it's been last year. Just because of losing a step, because of some of these injuries, just because of the way that the team was operating at the time. And again, I think that you play really well off of a guy like Kennedy Chandler in that year before. I think obviously Kennedy did a lot of things to to help players on the team. Um, but one thing that, that I kind of go off of, of what you're saying is you're talking about Ledlam and Connect and some of these guys, and I'll tell you what, I, I have never played college athletics, right? I don't know what it's like to be in a college athletics locker room. I don't know what kind of camaraderie. I don't know what kind of jealousy. I don't know I don't know those things what happen on a day-to-day basis, and I don't want to pretend to know what I do. I don't want to pretend to make a, you know, a mountain out of a molehill or something, but I am curious at the fact that you got a lot of you got a lot of players in that locker room right yep. now, and this is something I was thinking about yesterday. But I actually want to throw it over to uh, to a friend of friend of ours and friend of the show, uh, Will Warren. You can go and find his stuff at, at statsbywill.substack.com. I thought he just wrote it very very well, and and I had trouble kind of bringing it to words, but myself. But here's what he wrote again, Will Warren. From top to bottom, Tennessee genuinely may have the most depth of anyone in the country. Please do not take this to mean most talented. The problem with depth is that somebody's going to be a little pissed off. And I think that's fair. Again, I don't want to project, you know, who's going to be angry, if people are going to be upset. I don't know what's going to happen. But I do think that you look at, at the a team of 14 now, pretty much, you say, how are they going to whittle that down? And who is going to be upset because of, uh, you know, obviously playing time? And we know that that's a conversation any year on any yep. team in any sport, right? But when you have more qualified yeah. people and more people, two transfers who came in, and, and, and you know, one who came back yes. kind of at the last minute, I do think that that at least throws some interesting ripples. And look, we're sports guys. That's an interesting sports conversation. So that is a, an aspect that I really, again, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm concerned about it for Tennessee, but man, I'm really worried just about what that's going to look like in the long term. I mean, let's, let's jump forward 10 months. When you're in kind of that February, March area, Tennessee's not going to be playing 13. They're not going to be playing yep. 11 or 10. That's going to be a wheeled down rotation. Who are those seven, eight guys going to be that, that they really rely on. Again, just like Will put it, you know, hey, they might genuinely have the most depth in the country. Now, depth doesn't always equal talent, but just let it be known the problem with depth is that somebody's going to be a little ticked off. Yeah, and, you know, I think to your point, someone's going to be someone's not going to be playing whether you don't have depth, and that person's probably going to be ticked off either. And, you know, Josh sure. Pate has been on this, obviously, it's the college football universe for years you get you bring in the best players you can, and you let the chips fall where they may. So this that is not a reason why Tennessee shouldn't have done what they should have done or what they did yesterday in bringing Josiah back. You're going to have competition, but what I think it does, one, that's going to be the most fascinating development to watch the entirety of the next season. I mean, you look at how much wing depth Tennessee has. It's, Just it's, this rotation. Yeah, man. it's it's going to be insane and to see how all the chips fall and – I think even more you looked at maybe one of the concerns you had roster-wise, and I think may, was, does Tennessee have enough in the interior, given the fact that they lost Jaros Plasic and Olivier Kamois. You brought in Chris Ludlum, but we mentioned that he's also kind of a, he's also a wing, and you have questions about can a guy at six foot six effectively play in the interior in the SEC. And then if he can't do that, all of a sudden you were going to be very reliant on uh, um, J.P. Estrella, the freshman, to come in and help. 
Now having James is another guy that we've talked about, you know, for years. One of his greatest strengths is his ability to play the four and the versatility yeah. that gives Tennessee. So I think that is probably, if you're going to look at what it answers, that's probably the biggest question that it answers. But at the same time, and I guess this is the point I'm trying to make with all of this, <laughs> with all, all my ramblings. <laughs> Do you need an inhaler? It's been, it's been very long-winded. Is it the, I think the Josiah move does more to raise Tennessee's floor than it does to raise their ceiling. That's an interesting point. I don't think it necessarily does a ton to raise their ceiling because we've seen what Josiah Jordan James is, a good player, not necessarily a superstar. Could he find that extra level? Maybe. You can't rule it out, but it doesn't seem to be the most likely thing either. Um, and that's where I think Tennessee, it's a good great, good get back. It's going to yeah. help their depth net a ton. Positive. Net positive. I'm not sure it has the push Tennessee over the top effect that maybe an outside person might, might view it as. Sure. Correct me if I'm wrong here, whatever you think, but it feels like, and especially with this move, especially with, with the amount of experience and just knowledge of the Tennessee system that Josiah Jordan-James brings in, just figuring out how he's going to factor in, Tennessee feels like a team that's going to want to play small ball next year, and they're going to be going to be pretty darn effective at it, just kind of looking at the rosters and the pieces that they've put together. Do you feel a similar way? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, that's the thing. We're talking about the spot where they have a lot of depth at is wing, and if you have a lot of wing depth, you have a lot of versatility, and you can play a lot of different ways. Do I think Tennessee's roster is a, a built a little bit more to play small? I would, I would say so, but at the same time, not that Rick Barnes hasn't played small, but it's, you know, he's typically leans towards playing big and is obviously thinks very, still thinks very highly of Tobey Iwaka, Jonas Adu. Those are going to be two extremely important players for Tennessee. Right. So we'll, we'll see how that falls, but I would generally agree with that assessment. And this really was just shocking news that came out. I mean, yesterday, again, it, 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 you talk to the people who we know in the media, we were talking to each other with Jack as well, and, and just so many people just kind of felt like this was – out of nowhere, and it was. Do you have any kind of wrap-up thoughts on on the Josiah Jordan-James move or, or any other uh, direction that you want to take it in? I do, but I'm going to give myself a second. <laughs> you know that thing? Sometimes you drink water a little bit too fast, and it just might go down the wrong pipe. It kind of throws you. I still got that, uh, that switch. <laughs> I was sick this weekend. I still got a little bit of a, a shortness of breath from it. Yeah, it, it it happens to the best of us. Let me uh, while while we're catching our breath over here, let me kind of talk a little bit more about Josiah Jordan James. Reading again from RockyTopInsider.com, six foot six, uh, six foot six wing has been a key part of Tennessee's program over the last four years. Averaged ten points and four point seven rebounds a season ago, while missing twelve games with the aforementioned uh, injuries that we were talking about. He missed eight from the knee injury and four from the ankle injury that was suffered uh, right there at Vanderbilt, kind of about halfway through that season. But, like we've been saying, James' return is a surprise given that Tennessee added a pair of transfer wings, Northern Colorado's Dalton Connect and Harvard's uh, Chris Ledlam earlier this offseason. Here's what Josiah Jordan-James said in a statement about coming back to Tennessee. Quote, I'm excited and blessed to be able to represent Tennessee for one more year. After last season, I talked with the coaching staff and how important it was for me to go through that draft evaluation process and get NBA feedback since I wasn't able to do that last offseason. I also knew that the coaches here had to build a full roster for this year and prepare for the possibility that I might not be back. I love the pieces they've put together, and I'm eager to join this new group of teammates for one more run. Okay, so... I guess my, my final thought, or wrapping it up, and it, it's, just a, any it's just a kind of a further extension of what we've what we've already said. I think a couple quick hitters. One, I think Jermaine Meshack, 
you look at what Tennessee didn't do, the one spot they didn't address this offseason, they didn't add another point guard to the roster. And when you look at the logjam Tennessee now has at the wing, I do wonder if they pushed my Meshack and more towards playing the point guard spot and at least – Obviously, Zakai Ziegler's going to be a starting point guard when he's healthy and back. But uh, Meshack being a guy, and Meshack's going to play more off the ball at the two, but being a guy that can slide over more and not have to put that responsibility on Santiago Vescovi or Freddie DeLeon, who's sure. going to be a freshman combo guard. Um, so to me, that's an interesting uh, effect. I think you can more primarily focus him uh, on the ball. And then uh, I think, again, and this is kind of to the, to the point we had just made, uh, I was having this conversation with Ethan Stone, who's at Saturday Down South, is a, a fellow Tennessee alum, a fellow Daily Beacon guy yesterday, and he said, you know, this, he thinks this makes Tennessee, you know, this makes Tennessee probably top five team preseason. And that's where I disagreed with him. And I think Tennessee has the ceiling of a top five team. But I think a lot of the questions Tennessee has had the last few years of, do you have a great number one? Do you have true enough true scoring options? Yeah. All those things to me are still questions sure. going into next season. Do I think Tennessee has is has more potential answers? I think so. I think you look at Dalton Connect as the potential to be, I think, a big-time scorer and a, a big-time shooting help and, and someone that makes Tennessee a lot harder to guard and to space the court. Um, uh, and I think, you know, guys that no one in the national media is going to talk about any of these people, but Jemai Meshack, yeah. Freddie DeLeon, yeah. Uh, Tobey Awaka, probably those three are all three guys that I think have another gear, and if they make, they can really help Tennessee offensively. Uh, Dillion's probably the only one that I think next year can be a true offensive star. Um, but Meshack could easily become a double digits guy. I think Awaka could easily become a double digits guy. No one's going to talk about those guys. No one's going to be the guys that, that you point to. But when you look at what does push Tennessee over the top, because I do think they are definitely a top fifteen team, yeah, and probably a team that's going to spend most of the year in the top 10 mm-hmm. what pushes them over the top to being an elite team one of the best teams in the country uh, a top five a uh, top team that can sustain being in the top five over the course of the season and go consistently win beat quality teams on the road I think it's that it's the scoring and uh particularly a true number one score that I'm Still more questionable about. I don't know who you point to that's going to be able to overtake Santiago Vescovi. And I think for Santiago Vescovi to be his best, he's probably a number two scorer on a team. But there are plenty of pieces, and I don't even think, besides really connect, it's primarily the pieces that you're going to talk about coming back like Josiah or coming in in the three transfers. Uh, to me, it's still the guys that have been in this program, and, and obviously Dillion's kind of a in-between in guy since he was an early enrollee but hasn't played. Yeah, I, absolutely. And I think uh, you know a lot of what, what you're projected to see next year is a little bit of familiarity with, with some of just Tennessee's style the last couple of years. Looking at this team, you don't have a, a Brandon Miller, right? You don't have a, a, an Anthony Black. You don't have a uh, – who is the other guy from, from Arkansas? Nick Smith Jr., right? Guys who are, who are projected top 15, big NBA draft picks. It's going to be a collective effort. Effort, right, and and I think that's how again we've seen Tennessee operate the last couple of years. It's not a situation like Alabama last year where they have one star player and then you just kind of see how the rest of the pieces do around them. And you have some good, you have some bad, but you have that one big time, big time star. I think it's going to be a lot of a collective effort on, on Tennessee's side of things. And again, that's a little bit of a familiar feel to to what we've seen just watching Tennessee the last couple of years. Certainly, and then I guess one final thing on Tennessee, and I have another college basketball. Uh, basketball note to touch on but you know I wrote about it back right when the season ended that this was a super pivotal offseason for Rick Barnes in Tennessee there were a lot of questions 
and certainly it's been with some of the guys coming back, but I think it's hard to say Tennessee did not address those questions really well, and certainly the pieces on the roster. You don't know how they're all going to fit. That's what makes projecting college basketball so hard these <laughs> yeah. days because it's just there's so little roster continuity with the portal, the NBA, big-time recruits, all that good stuff. It makes it hard to project, but the pieces are definitely there. Do you have any – and I'm not going to – I promise I won't hold you to this. Okay. Bob won't either, okay? Neither of us will. Would you like to attempt a, a starting five for, let's just say, a mid-November game? We'll give you Zakai Ziegler yeah, back. Okay. But I'm just going to go with mid-November. So this is not after a bunch of changes in February or March. What do you think we're going to maybe see in that first non-conference stretch in November? I'm not going to hold you to it, but I'm curious if yeah. you have an idea. And I don't think this is Tennessee's best lineup, but this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. So I'll say Zakai Ziegler, Santiago Vescovi, Jemaya Meshack. I guess I'm just selling on the transfers because I think – sure. Again, I don't know if Tennessee ends up playing this way, but knowing Rick Barnes, I think he'll go with the two bigs to start the season. Yeah. Tobey Walker at four and Jonas to do at the center center spot. Familiarity in the starting five. Familiarity. Uh, and in again, five. that's that's pretty much the exact same thing that I was thinking too. I think that they're going to try the two guard look, and especially when you get Zakai back from from that injury and he's good to go again, and he can use those you know screens and, and cut to the basket and whatnot. I I think that's how they start the season. And but I think if who knows what could happen. And I think if you're a Tennessee fan, you want to hear the Dalton connection there because he is the guy that I think has the higher offensive ceiling. And if he by the st- by game one is all right, you can't turn this guy away from being yeah. a starter. I think that's a good sign. Where are you on the college basketball world? What what is piquing yeah. your interest right now? Well, no, I mean yesterday was a huge day in the college basketball world because of just the same thing that all the news was coming down with Tennessee. And I guess we'll note on that too, Julian Phillips staying in the NBA draft. He will right. not transfer. Olivier Kamwa is coming back to college basketball, will not be at Tennessee. He's visited West Virginia. He's got another visit to Michigan set up. Hey, you know who is also staying in the NBA draft that's a familiar name that you probably know the answer to? Justin Powell. Justin Powell. Justin Powell Panther. Yep, not he couldn't speak possibly stay at a, a famous <laughs> school for, for a second straight year. Um, but all, all that to say, there's obviously a ton of decisions yesterday. Yes. And yesterday was a really good day for Tennessee when you look at what happened in the rest of the SEC. Yes. It's been a disastrous offseason for Kentucky. Uh, Oscar <laughs> she- Oscar Shibway is staying in the NBA draft. Chris Livingston staying in the uh, NBA draft. Antonio Reeves is coming out of it. But it's really up in the air whether he's going to be at Tennessee. He's in the tra- – or at Kentucky, I <laughs> He will not They're be at Tennessee. Another. Yeah, he will not he's be at Tennessee. He's going to be a walk-on. Um, he's in the transfer portal, still still may transfer. And, you know, Kentucky is whiffed to this point. They haven't landed a single guy in the portal. They missed no. on Hunter Dickinson. Oscar Shibwe, uh was kind of a late turn. He went. So uh, if Reeves does not come back, Kentucky would have seven scholarship players for next year's team, and six of those guys are freshmen. And don't get me wrong, it's a great freshman yeah. class, it, it, but there's not a whole lot there to supplement that with right now um normally when Kentucky was really rolling through like this this initial age of the one and dones right they had a lot of them but they still had guys who were veterans who were culture guys who knew the system who knew the locker room who knew the coaching staff who could kind of help that transition for some of the younger guys because I think even looking at Arkansas last year yes they they finished in the sweet 16 they finished pretty darn good but boy you could tell that they had some growing pains right with some of their freshman players it's a lot of what Kentucky's looking at next year just without as much of the um, the culture guys, the veteran guys, to to kind of help ease that transition, if you will. You know, you're right, and you look at the best Cal teams from you know until 2015, which is really if you're going to look at the John Calipari era, it's kind of pre, well, pre 2016, uh, post the 2015 season where they you know didn't lose a game till the Final Four and since because it's been a completely 
different team when you look at or program when you look at results. Those best teams were the ones that at least had a couple sophomores or juniors. A Patrick Peterson, a Brandon, sure. or Patrick Patterson, I should say, not Peterson. Brandon Knight, uh, a handful. <laughs> of the Harrison twins uh, obviously were the guys on those 2015 teams that were veterans. Yep. Um, but then across the SEC, Kobe Brown, who was my favorite player in the SEC last year, tormented Tennessee twice <laughs> at Missouri. He was fun to watch. Yeah, he's a, re- he's a really good player. He's really good. Uh, he's, he's staying in the NBA draft. He will not be coming back to Columbia. Uh, and in Arkansas, uh, there was kind of good news and bad. Um, Jordan Walsh stays in the NBA draft. He will not come back. Devo Davis, on the other hand, who was, again, one of my favorite players in the league, is coming back to Arkansas for another season. Uh, Ron Holland, who was a Texas signee originally uh, before Chris Beard got fired. Uh, It was kind of a long battle whether he was going to be off to the NBA G League or to Arkansas. Those kind of seem to be the two options. Well, he's going to go to the NBA G League. He was the number three player in the country, so uh, a big miss for Arkansas there. And then uh, I guess... That was the most the most important SEC news. Uh, Javon Quinterly is out of the NBA draft, coming back to Alabama. Uh, but Alabama did it didn't happen yesterday. It happened last week, or maybe even two weeks ago. But Charles B. Diaco, their starting center, uh, was pretty big surprise when he announced he was going to stay in the NBA draft. So there's been a lot of bad news for SEC teams, uh, and most recently uh, yesterday, but really uh, across the last two weeks when you kind of get to this final road, I guess now we're in the final stretch, but you get to the final big stretch with that NBA uh, draft deadline of who's going to be on the team, who's not. Uh, a lot of SEC teams have received bad news. Tennessee has obviously uh, received some pretty good news. Yeah, there's, there's, man, you're right. There's been a lot of movement. And with yesterday being the deadline, that was all very expected. Uh, but you're right. It's very fascinating to see where some of these big names go and who's coming back, who's going to be leaving, what the competition's going to look like next year. Uh, but ultimately, just to kind of wrap up on the Josiah Jordan-James conversation, he is back. So we'll, we'll kind of figure out. We'll get more confirmation just kind of what that roster spot is going to look like, but we know that he's going to be back ultimately a net positive, but there's some really fascinating kind of branches from this tree that, that kind of could go either way. We're, we're anticipating just seeing how all this unfolds, and it's going to be a uh, big story as you, as you get closer and closer to the fall. Yeah, certainly. It'll be fascinating to watch in preseason and certainly when they get into the season. Uh, it'll be uh, Rick Barnes will have a, a tough task on his hand in figuring out a rotation because that's what comes with a, a lot yeah. of depth is a challenge finding out what your rotation looks like. Flipping the script a little bit, if you're good with that. Yep. I do want to talk, well, we're going to talk about some football for a couple minutes right now, but I do want to maybe come back in next weekend and get a big kind of football offseason. Where are we in the offseason? What's been happening? What's coming up next? What do SEC media days look like? What happened this week in Destin, Florida at the coaches' meetings? We don't have all that information right now, so I do want to come back maybe next week and have a little bit of a, of a football offseason recap review period podcast. Yeah. But I want to talk about the big news that Tennessee announced yesterday along with ESPN. So we got two kickoff times uh, for two of Tennessee's first three games of the season. The season opener will be on Saturday, September 2nd. That game will be ta- uh, playing in Nissan, uh, excuse me, Nissan Field in Nashville. Nissan, Nissan Stadium. Stadium yeah. Against Virginia. That game is going to be noon Eastern time, 11 local time. I know there was certainly some disgruntled members of the fan yeah. base who were not happy with this yesterday. I know it's going to be hot in Nashville. Like it, that is going to be a, a scorcher of a game. My whole thing is like... It, if that's played at noon in Neyland, it's going to be just as hot. Like, let's well, maybe not just well, for the fans, but okay. they put the turf in this year, ah, first year. That's true. And I'm already pre-match. You know, I'm a, a big anti-turf guy and obviously a Titans fan. Big so anti-turf. I was, I was very upset. Down when they put with it in. turf. 
That's uh, what Ryan says to me all the time. He says, "Down with turf." Down with turf, and I'm already daily. I'm already ready for a Tennessee player to get hurt <laughs> on the turf, and to see how mad people are going to get at the Titans for it. And I will. I will also be. I will be supporting the people getting mad at my horrible football organization. There you go. There you go. By the way, I saw that. Uh, Will Levis had a he's strung together a couple of good practices, and I say good very facetiously because that's not what the internet is saying. Well, he's yeah, had, that's a big overreaction, but uh, you know, yeah, I, I mean, bring, he's had I got to bring it up. He's had three practices, I think, where media's at. He's, I think, it's been one good, one bad, and one one average. So, I, <laughs> who, who cares? It's nobody's. What out are you there. talking about practice? It's not even it's not even training camp yet. So, the, training camp is when I will start locking <laughs> in to seeing what the reviews look like. Noon Eastern time, the game will be on ABC, so you returned to ABC yeah. after the Pittsburgh game last year, which did a massive number for, for ABC as well as, you know, Tennessee season really started getting going, and that game went into overtime, a, an absolute thriller. But definitely people uh, a little bit unhappy about this 11 a.m. Yeah. game. And I know that, hey, I, I get it, you know, from a fan's perspective. If, if you're if you're wanting to spend the money and you're traveling over to Nashville or maybe you're excited for a big weekend with the Vols that you don't normally get, you know, the, the game's kind of over by three. You, you probably already had some drinks and some food, and I don't know if you're going to go back out. And I think a lot of people might have rather that have been an afternoon or a night game to kind of have the Nashville experience before the game. Obviously, there's nothing we can do about that now, but that is a, a fascinating development. So that's the first game of the season. Any other thoughts there? Nope. Get to the second game of the season. That's uh, a Week 2 matchup. The home opener, I guess, the Neyland yep. Stadium opener against Austin P. We don't exactly know when that is going to be next, although we do know that that game will be broadcasted on SEC Network Plus, which is fairly expected going back to those kind of games last year. Then you get to the third week of the season. 7 o'clock p.m. on ESPN, Tennessee, taking on Florida in the swamp. It is going to be maniacal down there. Obviously, with, with the way that Florida's going, with the way that Tennessee beat them in Knoxville last year, snapping that five-game uh, losing streak by Tennessee, getting only their second win in the last 18 years, this is a big-time matchup even before it was a night game of the Swamp. But obviously, that's going to make it a little bit tougher for Tennessee. I think if you're Tennessee in a perfect world, these times yeah. are switched, right? You get your Nissan you get your Nissan Stadium game at 7 o'clock p.m., and you, you travel to take down the, the Gators in the first game of the day, but that's not how it's going to be. It's going to be a little bit of a, a certainly a, a hostile crowd there. You know that they're going to be amped up for it. It's going to be tough for Tennessee, but that's a that's a big time game. Just kind of implying that hey, this in a lot of ways that this is a, a big rivalry again. And you know, I know that Florida only went six and seven last year. They haven't necessarily proved that they can take that second step. But hey, when it's Tennessee and Florida, you're going to get some attention coming that way. Yeah, I mean, it's also you know, a place Tennessee hasn't won since 2003. So. Uh, a lot of struggles they've had there, um, and these kind of two things points I have about that are going to tie in. Um, but night game means on ESPN, not on CBS, which means Tennessee and Florida have played their final game on CBS. This is the last year of the partnership. Wow, that's right. Yeah, which <laughs> was a Tennessee win. Which there was a Tennessee win, which ties into over Bob's quarterback now. Yes, Anthony, Anthony Richardson, Richardson, who you performed certainly much better against the Vols than my, my quarterback <laughs> did. Uh, but the thing that's interesting about that is I mean, you look at how many Tennessee Florida games have been CBS games, and you do that to the reverse of I do not, I genuinely, I sit here, I do not know the last time Tennessee played a night game in Gainesville. And, I mean, you go down the list. Uh, I, I say this, and I do know the answer because it was in 2021. It was the last time they played there. So point completely to the side. But besi- before that <laughs> – <laughs> kind of ironic, but before that, I can't remember the last time they played a night game. 19 was a, a day game ESPN, 17 was CBS, 15 was CBS, 13 was CBS, 11 oh. was CBS, 9 was CBS, 
Seven was CBS. I don't remember five. It was probably CBS. Three was CBS. One was CBS. <laughs> and ended all those Peyton Manning. All right, you games. redeemed yourself with that wicked knowledge there. That was a really that, good, that was pretty that funny. Was a really good route to follow, though. <laughs> the, the, the right after. Yeah, well, twenty one was a night game. <laughs> Well, I think the sky is blue. No, you know what? I guess it's red. Yeah. Huh. Ah, that's funny. But a lot of, uh, I guess it's it's ironic that after, this is not the way I was going with it, but my spin zone here, it was after 30 years of SEC or CBS having SEC games. Obviously, it wasn't exclusively SEC, I know, in the 90s. Tennessee always played Florida on CBS, and then the last two games, the last two years they could have, on the road, played Florida on CBS. They played ESPN night games. It is an end of the era, end of an era, I guess I should say, Tennessee, Florida on CBS. You know, CBS actually listed their kind of a a mock schedule for the 2023 SEC games, and most of them are just filled in as SEC on CBS Game of the Week, so we don't exactly know what all of the matchups are going to be, but we do know that uh, Tennessee is not listed on here as in in part of a, you know, pre- Yes, an already set game. Those would be South Carolina at Georgia. That would be Saturday, September 16th. That's what CBS took instead of... Tennessee, Georgia, or excuse me, Tennessee, Florida. Uh, and then you go down the list a little bit. You got Air Force and Navy uh, on the 21st of October. You got Florida, Georgia on the 28th of October. And then a little bit more down until um, Missouri at Arkansas. What is that, the day after Thanksgiving? Okay, yep. the day after Thanksgiving, so the 24th of November. So, yeah, CBS Sports went ahead and, and released some of their games, but obviously a lot of those are still to be determined. Yeah, and I, I mean, the Alabama and, and Georgia games would, would probably be shocks if they were not – we're not on CBS. Um, besides that, you know, I don't think many of them seem seem super likely um, to be CBS games. But you know, we'll see how uh, how the calendar falls. I will say, from a very selfish standpoint, thinking about that that Nissan Stadium game, you know, we'll get to Nashville early. We'll we'll get done with work by what four five, you know, or so. Maybe I can even take a little bit of a nap and then still go out to still go out to Broadway or you know still go out to the bars and the restaurants and have a good time. So selfishly, maybe after oh, I, I mean, finish my work, I, I'll even have a little bit of a built-in nap time where I can get a, a thirty-minute snooze before I mean, going back out. It felt like we're back in the fall because it's yeah. I mean, we the media <laughs> we like the noon games. The noon games are much better for yeah. us. Obviously, yeah. they do suck suck for fans. Though, so <laughs> I, I yeah. I'm not I'm not rooting for you, uh, but I guess I, I empathize <laughs> with the fans. There you go. I agree. Any other uh, final things that we either missed or we didn't get to or, or anything like that? Again, do want to come back next week. We'll bring in Jack as well as much as we can do that. We'll talk a lot of football. We'll talk some of the recruiting storylines going on because, boy, there's a lot yeah. of them. Tennessee has gotten a, a couple ready. of really big-time uh, commits. The, my favorite of the bunch being running back Peyton Lewis. I just think that he's got a different element to his game that really excited to talk about next week. So we'll kind of talk about what the offseason has looked like and then what it will look like over the next couple months leading into fall camp as well. But anything uh, you think we missed today? Anything you didn't get to? Um, the only other note on the schedule thing for Tennessee and then the CBS schedules is that October 14th is uh, the – one of CBS's two doubleheader days, it's their noon afternoon doubleheader in, in Tennessee host A&M that game, A&M that day. Uh, I don't know what the complete SEC slate looks okay, like yeah. that day, but um, could potentially, again, be a tough break for the fans who get a potential noon CBS game, uh, uh, which Tennessee played Missouri in that slot last yeah. year, too. So it could be back-to-back years that Tennessee uh, falls victim to that. I wish I had the exact... Odds maker, and I apologize for not. I heard this on the radio this morning on 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. Did you know that A&M is, has, a, has a better uh, odds to, to win the SEC? I think they're, they're fourth, fourth and Tennessee's fifth. fifth. Yeah. And then there's a pretty good gap between five and six. But 
I found that really interesting. A&M's got a they got an interesting schedule, but they got some tough road games. I think going to Alabama, obviously going to Knoxville. Uh, Bobby Petrino coming in as the offensive coordinator. Yeah, that's fascinating. I, I, you know, A and M is a is a school that I, I grew up close to my whole life, and a lot of my family went there, so I have a lot of ties there, and I've seen a lot of Aggie football, and it's going to be a very interesting season for uh, for old Jimbo yeah, and the crew down there. Yeah, it will be fascinating, and and that'll be a, an interesting game. I uh, already looking ahead to it. It is Tennessee will be in that game coming off a of bye week the week before. Wow, I, I don't remember the exact stats. Uh, I'm sure we'll. They, sm- them by they then. smoked somebody out of the bye week this last year, right? It yes, was LSU. It was LSU. The, we talked about it. Yeah, I was on top racing. of it going into that uh, week. Josh Heupel in his career uh, is something like 8-1 and one, uh, now coming yeah. out of bye weeks, and his offense scores 45. It was Kentucky his first year, which obviously was their biggest win that season. Um, so Tennessee, or not Tennessee, Josh Heupel coach teams have been really good coming out of bye. <laughs> That's something to <laughs> kind of note if we're going to be talking about that a and here give, the first If you give June. Josh Heupel more than a week, you can just say, uh, hello, Virginia, hello, Texas A&M, hello, Clemson last year, hello, yeah. LSU last year. There's a couple of good uh, evidence from that. All right, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. That is Ryan Shumpert. You can follow him at rshump00 on Twitter. Jack Foster is not with us, but he was on the baseball podcast that Jack and Ryan recorded earlier this morning. It is already out by the time you're listening to this. You can go and follow Jack Foster Media on Twitter. And then myself, I'm Rick Butler, at Rick underscore Butler on Twitter as well. But make sure you're locking into RockyTopInsider.com each and every day. Also, make sure you're following Rocky Top Insider on all five different social media platforms. We are at Rocky Top Insider on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. We are posting daily on those sites, so make sure you're following us. Make sure you're loving the content that we're putting out there. And last but not least, go ahead and also check out on the RTI Audio Network, the RTI Pancakes and Bacon Podcast, one of my new favorite things of the spring. I have loved listening to these yeah, guys and hearing the stories. And it's, it's got VFL Kyler Kerbison and, and his partner in crime, Reed Bacon. And, man, they put together a really good piece of audio. It's just anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes, about once a week. They're breaking down recruits. They're breaking down uh, games from last year. They're breaking down anything you can possibly break down. They've got, a big, they've got a big Lego set. They're breaking it down, okay? <laughs> and then, like Ryan said, you, you, you get some really good stories from Kyler as well. So make sure you're going and checking out RTI Pancakes and Bacon. All you have to do is search that wherever you listen to your favorite audio podcast. But, Ryan, my friend, I think that's going to wrap it up for us today. This has been a... Uh, Good productive show. It's good to be back in studio. It is good I, to be back in studio. I know I have not been doing a, a lot of podcasting the last week or two, so this has been a thrill to sit in here and talk a little basketball, talk a little football. Yeah, I hope hopefully didn't ramble too much on my my <laughs> many many uh, basketball thoughts uh, for Tennessee. They were good. They were good as always, my friend. Let's go ahead and and wrap this up and get out of here. Thank you so much for listening to the RTI Press Pass podcast. Again, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on the website RockyTopInsider.com. But otherwise, we will see you back next week. We will also see you in the podcast feed this weekend. No matter what happens in the Clemson Regional, Jack Ryan, maybe even myself, we'll be back to talk a little baseball on the podcast network. So make sure you're staying. Stay tuned the next week. we got a lot of fun shows coming out for you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you back for the next one.